Hey, if you have your Bible today, or if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, uh, you can go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. We're going to continue our series uh, that I've entitled, Be the Church. We want to be the church that God created us to be. And so we're taking a look at different passages. We've been going along here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Here at the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus has a message for the churches. These churches are real-life churches. However, the message that Jesus has for them is also highly applicable for us today. And so we're going to take a look here. This is the second-to-last message that Jesus has for a church. This one's in Philadelphia. And so Jesus has this message to say to them. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who will dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and uh, my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, Let's ask God for his help uh, before we dive into this. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we just thank you that we can rely on it, that you've given this to us, and uh, Jesus, I, I pray that as we talk about this message that you have for the church in Philadelphia, it wouldn't just be head knowledge for us, it wouldn't just be something that we can internalize in knowledge, but it would also be something, Father, that would apply to our lives, that God, that we wouldn't just be smarter when we leave this room, but God, that we'd be closer to you, that we could glorify you more as we leave here, and that you would just soften our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us. Uh, Father, I pray that you give us opportunities, opportunities to glorify you, to worship you, to talk about your love to people, Father, to show them who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but I've always really admired people who can do a lot with very little. Uh, my grandpa was one of these guys that, man, he went through the depression, and uh, you could just take these, like, scrap things and build something cool with it. And I don't know about you, but I've just kind of always admired that. Um, I have shared this before, but I serve on the board uh, for our uh, district uh, camp, uh, Prairie Camp, and um, our director out there, man, he just does an awesome job. His name's Ben. Man, let me tell you, Ben can do amazing things with, like, a little shoestring budget. I mean, he, uh, we've done several building projects, and we don't have the biggest budget in the world, and somehow he can just make it work. And I know that's not just uh, something that, as Christians, we admire, too. Uh, the world admires this, too. Um, 
Anybody ever seen the movie Iron Man? It's kind of like the first or one of the first Avengers. I'm getting some head shakes. The rest of you must live under rocks. That's okay. I'll explain it to you. Uh, basically what happens is there's Iron Man. He gets, he's not Iron Man yet, but he gets in, in, in himself uh, captured by the enemies. They bring him into a cave and they want him to make this bomb for them. He's a chemist. And uh, so instead of doing that, he builds the Iron Man suit. And he gets out of that, and he takes these little scraps, and he builds this amazing suit with it, and he gets himself out of there. And later on in the movie, uh, there's this antagonist, uh, the bad guy, and he's uh, saying he, he wants his scientists to develop this same thing that Tony Stark developed, Iron Man developed. And he says to them, they've got this huge lab and all these resources, and he just puts his fist down on the table, and he goes, Tony Stark built this with a back box of scraps in a cave, and you can't do this? This is frustrating to me, Right? And uh, what I like about that, though, is it really shows, hey, the world admires when you could do a lot with just a little. But here's the problem with that. This may be an admirable uh, uh, thing to have, a characteristic of yourself, but it also gets you really tired. I'm, I remember my grandpa, after working on these projects, I mean, he just worked so hard because he didn't quite have the right materials that he needed, and yet he'd have to work way harder to get the outcome that he desired. I've seen our camp director, Ben, and I've seen him after these projects, and he's just totally worn out. If you've seen the Iron Man movie, you know that when Tony Stark gets out of that cave, he looks like he's half dead. I mean, when you do these things, it wears you out. You might feel that way today. Maybe you feel like, man, life has just worn me out. I've been through a lot. I'm at my wit's end with my job. I'm at my wit's end with my kids or my spouse or my parents or whatever you're looking at and you're saying, man, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of getting worn out. I, I, I was looking forward to some rest. Maybe you had a very different picture of what this season of life would look like for you. Maybe you're saying, man, this season of life, I was looking forward to this. I thought it would be restful. I thought it would be the best season of my life. And it just didn't turn out the way that I thought it would turn out. There's a biblical concept that I think that we have to realize. Before we get into the passage, I, I just want to talk about this real quickly. There's a biblical concept of the outcome of faithfulness. Sometimes we think that we'll be faithful, that, that we'll do these hard things now, and that later on it'll be really easy. Life will just be really easy for us. And it doesn't turn out that way. And we shouldn't think that because Jesus told, told us elsewise. Look at what he says. He says, he gives these parables, and this is part of one of his parables. He says, uh, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. Notice, he's done a lot with just a little. And look at what Jesus says, enter into some rest. Uh, no, that's not what he says. He says, I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In another one of his parables, or I'm sorry, continuing on actually, he uh, also gives the uh, he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you've uh, delivered to me two talents here, and I have made you two talents more. Look at this. Jesus also says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. In another one of his parables, Jesus puts it like this. He says uh, to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful with very little, you ha shall have authority over ten cities. You see, what we have to realize is there's a biblical concept that the outcome of faithfulness. Sometimes we think, man, I'm going to be faithful with this, and then I'll have a restful season of life down the road. And what Jesus says is he says, when you're faithful with a little bit, the reward, the outcome from that is actually more work. And it's hard to realize. 
Like, that's hard to realize when you're saying, I've been faithful with little. There's a biblical concept that if I'm faithful with just a little bit, Jesus is saying, there's going to be more work down the road. Which leads us to a question then. If this is the reality, if we're faithful with a little bit, and Jesus says, if you're faithful a little, I'm going to put you over more, how do you not look like you're half dead at the end of this? Like, have you ever just walked around and you're like, gosh, man, that... There's just a lot going on right now, and life is hard. Life is really difficult. I feel like I'm doing three people's jobs, and it's just really hard. And things are just rough. And, man, they're all good things maybe even in your life, but you're just saying, man, how do I keep up with this? How do I keep up with this pace? How do I keep being faithful with what God has given to me and then handle more and more and more and more? In other words... How do you handle more work without giving up or burning out? How do you do it? Well, this church here that Jesus is giving a message to here in the church of Philadelphia, this church is worn out. Look at what he says to him. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set you before an open door which no one is able to shut. Look at this. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. What Jesus is telling to them is he's saying, hey, I've seen you. I know what you've done. You haven't been the biggest church in the world. You haven't had the most resources. You haven't been the richest church in the world. And yet, you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. This church is worn out. And Jesus has some things to tell them. And I think for us today, we could look at this message and we could say, man, if we're going to be the church that God created us to be, if we're going to be faithful over little, and we're going to be faithful over much down the road, we've got to learn, how do we not burn out? How do we keep on doing the work that God has set before us? Um, I, I just got to say, th- this message has been one, uh, as I've prepared it, I feel like, uh, man, it is really applicable to me today. If you were go- to go back here, we switched our offices around in the building, and Uh, This office is a mess. You're more than welcome to go in it after service, but it's an absolute disaster. It's a pit. Uh, Let me just tell you, it's horrible. I'm working on it this week, uh, but there's a whiteboard that sits in front of the desk that I'm using in there, and man, it is just chock full of stuff. And it's all really good stuff. We've added a couple ministry teams this year in the church. It's been really, really good. And uh, the board that I told you that I was a part of, man, we're, we're uh, raising funds to replace one of our buildings on campus. And it's been going so well. This, this uh, campaign to raise money has been going so well. Uh, Bill Walter, you guys know him from church here. He's been a church consultant for years. He told me it would take three years. Uh, we've raised two-thirds of the money in eight months. It's just been amazing. And so the board has said, that's great. Josh, you need to re- raise the rest of the money by, by July so we can start construction in August. It's like that you've been faithful over little. Now I'm going to give you much. It's not, oh, you've done that? Great. Now we can coast for two and a half years. No, no, no. It's pedal to the metal. Let's go. And it's all really, really good stuff. But it's also really difficult. It's also really difficult. Maybe you feel that way in your life right now. I think that this message is particularly useful and applicable to us here at the church, here at Hillside Missionary Church specifically. You guys went through a really difficult time before I got here. And you guys had to decide, hey, are we going to close our doors or not? Are we going to stay open or not? And you all decided, hey, we're in it. We're going to keep the doors open. We think God's got a plan here, and we're 
in it. And you guys have been, I mean, I just want to commend you for a moment. You've been so faithful. I, I listen to other pastors talk, and they've got all these people complaining, and, and they've got all these people who, man, they just don't want to do anything. And I, can I just compliment you? You guys, I am just every time, every time I hear that, I am just so proud to be your pastor. Because you step up and you do it. And when there's a need, you guys say, yeah, I'm in. Let's do this together. And I, I tell people what, what we've done in the past few years, and they can't believe it. But it's all because you guys have been faithful to what God has put on your hearts to do. But again, there's a problem there. Because if we're not careful, we're going to burn out and we're going to give up. And God didn't call us to be faithful over one season of our lives or over a few years or over a decade. He called us to be faithful over our entire lifetime. So how do you do that without giving up? If you feel like you're at the end of your rope today, Jesus has seven things to tell this church that I think are highly applicable for us today. At the beginning of all of his letters, he'll start out by saying a characteristic of himself. And this characteristic of himself will be directly related to what the church is going through. This is only the second church that we've looked at that hasn't had a major problem with it. You see, uh, the only other church that doesn't get a major problem that Jesus says, hey, you need to fix this. This is a major problem going on here is the persecuted church. And so other than the persecuted church that we looked at, uh, at the second uh, in this list of seven here that we've been going through, this is the only one that, that doesn't have a major fix to it. And Jesus, he says this uh, to, the, to, the church, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the Holy One, look at this, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, hey, I have provided to you the key of David. It's salvation. He's saying, I have died on the cross. I have made a way, and no one will ever take that away. Jesus is pointing to his power. And to a weary church, Jesus is saying, hey, I love you. I'm here for you, and I am the most powerful being on the face of the planet. How do you avoid giving up? How do you avoid burnout. First and foremost, you rely on God's power. You lean on him because he is almighty and everlasting, who always was and who always will be. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Colossians 1.16 puts it like this, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe, look at this, by the power or the word of His power. Psalm 28.7 says, the Lord is my strength. This is the attitude we ought to have. The Lord is my strength and my shield in him. My heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is our strength and he is the most powerful being that ever has been. And he always has been. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you just rely on my power. In other words, I know that Jesus is saying this. I know you don't have enough power to get through this. I know you don't have enough strength to get through this. I know you're weary. I know you're tired. You rely on me who has infinite power. He also says this to him. He says, look at this. I know 
your works. He starts right at the beginning saying, I know your works. Um, there's something I've realized. Uh, Tammy and I have been married uh, over seven years now. And I've realized this. Guys, if, uh, if you haven't realized this, I'm going to save you a whole lot of heartache. Okay, you ready for this? Sometimes Tammy doesn't need me to fix her problems. And in fact, most of the time, she doesn't need me to fix her problems when she has something wrong in her life. She just needs me to listen and to be there for her. Ladies, you, 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 yeah, you're feeling that? Okay. And, oh, all right, I'm getting a lot of blank stares. That's all right. Okay, that's what I've realized. Maybe you don't need that. But um, I've talked to other guys, and they say, oh, yeah, I realized that like five years ago. I'm like, you couldn't help me out. Okay, so I'm trying to help you out. But sometimes you just need somebody to hear what you're going through and to be there with you as you work through it. Jesus is saying, look at this. He t- looks at the weary church, the worn-out church, and he says, I know your works. I see you. I see what you've done. You're not laboring in vain. The second way that we avoid giving up is not only that we rely on God's power, but we remember that God sees us. You don't work in vain. God sees every little thing that you do. When you give up your preference for the greater good of the church, or for your marriage, or for your kids, or for God's kingdom in any way, shape, or form, God sees that even when it's small. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily for the, the Lord and not for men. And this is the attitude we ought to have because we know that God sees us. Proverbs 15.3 puts it like this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 12 says, But you, O Lord, know me, you see me, and you test my heart toward you. Psalm 33 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His steadfast love. You remember that God sees you, and your work is not in vain. Let's continue on uh, in verse 3 here. Look at this. Not only does Jesus say, I've seen your works, but He also says this, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Now that's interesting, and you might say, okay, what's going on with that? Before uh, we saw that Jesus, He opens this door and no one shuts it. What's going on here? Uh, This points to the way of salvation. And he's saying, hey, listen, I have given you, church, I have given you this uh, relationship with me. And now I'm sending before you opportunities to share that love with everyone in Philadelphia. He's saying, everyone throughout your city, you have an opportunity. There's this open door that you have to share who I am, to share my glory What is Jesus saying to them? He's saying, you've got an opportunity. And when you're weary and you're just worn out, sometimes the last thing you need is to look at opportunities. Right? You're saying, oh, geez, man, I I know there's about a thousand opportunities here. I've just got to do this, and then i got to move on. But what's really, really important here is that we not view these opportunities as just more work, but we view them for what they are which is an opportunity to further God's kingdom. In other words, the people around you that don't know Jesus, if they die today, they don't have a relationship with Jesus, they will go to hell. And that should set a fire beneath you to say, hey, I have a passion, I have an energy to go talk with this person about who Jesus is. And so how do you not burn out? you realize, just as Jesus is saying, hey, I've set this open door before you, Philadelphia. Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, I need you to recognize these opportunities I've given you. 
There are amazing opportunities that we have. Remember what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, look at this, but the laborers are few. You think there's a labor shortage in the fast food industry or in the manufacturing industry in our economy today. There is always a labor shortage in the kingdom of God. There is always more that we can do. And yes, I understand that we can't be spread too thin. I understand that we can't have our hand in everything, but there is an opportunity that God is calling you to do. There's an opportunity that God is calling you specifically in your context where you live, in your neighborhood. There's an opportunity for you to worship God, to glorify God, to build up his kingdom. Galatians 6:10 says, "So then, as we have opportunity, let us go do good to everyone and to especially to those who are of the household of faith." Which means this, we can't just be lollygagging around. We've got to be intentional. Ephesians 5:16 says, "Making the best use of time because the days are evil." Which means we can't scroll through social media for 4 hours a day, right? Or maybe even a half hour a day would be too much. we got to say, hey, you know what? i, I got to be intentional here. I just can't come home after work and turn on the TV and somehow find myself in front of the TV all evening. I've got to use the best use of my time. Why? Because God's given me opportunities here. And most of the time, too, when we take advantage of these opportunities and we're saying, hey, you know what? I want to go do that. And these things, man, there's a fulfillment that we find. Um, I was listening to a study that um, uh, workers today find a lot more fulfillment. Even if they have to work harder and longer in their job, uh, they will be happier if they know that they are accomplishing something. In other words, you could have a worker who has to work 10 hours of overtime, they're working 50 hours a week, but so long as they know the goal that they're working towards and they find accomplishment in that, they will find far more satisfaction in their job than a worker that can go home early two hours every day and only work 30 hours a week who just has to sit there and twiddle their thumbs and work on projects that they know aren't going anywhere. There's fulfillment in the opportunities that God has for you when you take advantage of those opportunities and you're faithful to what God is calling us to do. I mean, think about it. When you uh, do a project, maybe you like to do projects around the house, or uh, maybe you like to do a certain arts and crafts or a hobby that you have. When things go well, when you do that project well, and you look at that, man, it's a good feeling. For me, I love mowing the yard. You look back, I, the best part, standing at the edge of the street, looking at the straight lines. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah you know what I'm talking about. You, and it's just like, oh yeah, that was a lot of hard work. And those will last about three hours. But this is really, really nice to look at for the three hours that these things are going to last. But whatever it is for you, you like looking at that and you're saying, man, there's, there, there's satisfaction in that. The same goes for the opportunities that God has for that. That when that conversation goes well and you're saying, man, now I can pray with this person and lead them to Christ, there's no greater satisfaction that we can have than building up God's kingdom. Here's another thing that Jesus has for the church in Philadelphia. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Well, scholars are kind of split on who these people were. Were they really Jews? Were they not? What is Jesus talking about? Uh, I think the best explanation is that there were Jews in this city 
that were attacking the Christians somehow, that whether they were lying about them, whether they were kind of tipping off the Roman guards to uh, persecute these Christians, we're, we're not totally sure. But what Jesus is saying is He's saying, hey, I know you have these enemies. Remember, Jesus sees you and He says, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, I will make that happen. He doesn't say, I know you've got enemies, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your stone tablet and write a letter to the governor over in Rome. And I need you to, I, let's, let's get the cardboard signs out, let's start picketing, let's make an online Facebook up group, and let's start, let's start really petitioning the government to stop this. No, Jesus says, hey, listen, you let, you let me take care of that. You let me take care of that. What do we have to realize? You've got to realize that God's the judge, not you. Jesus is the one. He says, I will take care of these people. I will make them bow down. You don't have to worry about it. And sometimes, man, we get bent out of shape about other people who we don't even know, who we think are doing the wrong thing. And sometimes I think we just need to take this, this knowledge here and say, man, God's a judge, not me. I'm not responsible for their actions. And yes, there are people around us, and yes, if they're uh, friends and we have that relationship, obviously we want to we, we encourage people to love Jesus and love Jesus well, and so we can bring that up with people. But ultimately, you're still not their judge. God is. Psalm 50, verse 6 says, The heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. Later on in Psalms it says, But God is who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. At the end of the book of Revelation, John records this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Look at this. It's not other Christians who are judging. It's God. And sometimes we just got to let that go, let things go and say, God, you're the judge here. And I'm just going to let you be responsible for that. Because, man, let me tell you, God did not design your brain and your body to be the judge. You will go crazy if you feel like you have to judge everyone and have an opinion about what every single person is doing. And, well, I, they're doing something wrong, and I don't like what they're doing. I don't like what this person's doing. I don't like what this person's doing. And, man, sometimes you just got to let it go and say, God, you're the judge of that person. And I'm just going to be responsible for myself my family, my household, my resources, what God has given to me, that's what I'm responsible for. But I'm not responsible for everybody else on the face of the planet. God's given you specific responsibilities. You focus on those. And when God calls you to do certain things, you can go out and do those things. But listen, you don't have to be the judge of the world. God already is. Don't take His job. You're going to do it way more poorly than He will. Let's continue on. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus says this to the church. He says, Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. Jesus is saying this. Hey, listen, you have been faithful in the past, and I want you to dwell on that. Think about that. Think about the faithfulness that you have had. Think about my faithfulness toward you and in the future. There's going to be hard things. It says that the hour of trial, that is coming on the whole world. Now, 
We don't know if this was a specific event that happened or if it's looking toward, uh, forward uh, towards the tribulation. We don't know exactly what Jesus is referring to. What we do know is that there's going to be hard times on earth, that this church faced hard times. And he's saying this. He's saying, I will keep you from the hour of trial. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you lean on my faithfulness in the past and you lean on my protection in the future. What do we realize about not giving up? How do we not give up? How do we not burn out? You recall God's faithfulness in the past, and then you lean on His protection in the future. And listen, there's a lot of passages in Scripture where Christians are persecuted. And there's very few where God saves them from that persecution here on earth. Now, you might look and say, well, yeah, there's some examples in the book of David, David and the lion's dead, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's also examples like Stephen in the New Testament, who, when he was faithful to the church and what God wanted him to do, the outcome for him was to be stoned by society, to be killed by them. And God's protection doesn't mean just here on earth. It means in heaven as well. Revelation chapter 21, we talked about this last week, but it says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When you're dealing with a lot going on on earth, and you're saying, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it past this. This is just so hard. This is just so difficult. I don't know how I'm going to make it past this. I'm worn out. I'm tired. You think about the day when there's no more labor. There's no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. For the former things have passed away. You lean on His faithfulness. Second Thessalonians says this, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Proverbs 18 puts it like this, The name of the Lord is strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. This should be our attitude, like it says in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You lean on His faithfulness and His protection. Two more things I want to point out before we run out of time here. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says, I'm coming soon to the church in Philadelphia. He says, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. What is He saying? He's pointing to the reward that the church has, should they continue in their faithfulness, should they continue being faithful in and out, day in, day out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, he says, there is a reward for you. Hold fast to that. Continue on. Continue being faithful so that no one may seize your crown. There is a reward for you. How do you avoid giving up? Remember, there's a reward at the end. And that sounds really selfish, right? Like, even, even when I say that, I'm like, man, it, that, that's just so, like, self-serving. And that's just not what our faith is all about, right? That's not what Jesus is all about, that, that we're just doing things for our reward. But when you have a relationship with Jesus, when you have that and you are faithful, it's not about the reward. Yes, we remember that, but that's not the only reason that we do that. But there is a reality that Scripture talks about, that there is a reward coming for those who are faithful. Matthew chapter 5, this is on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are those, I'm sorry, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, look at this, 
for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus puts it very similarly. He says, But love your enemies and do good and, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward, look at this, will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see, the reward is not only heavenly, but it's also earthly. We will reap the harvest. Now, it doesn't mean that things are going to be great down the future, but it does mean if you sow right now, down the road, if you're saying, man, I'm going to build God's kingdom up, I'm going to be faithful to what He's called me to do, I am going to invest into my kids, and my marriage, and my church, and what God wants me to do, He's saying, hey, listen, in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So we see the reward on earth, we see the reward in heaven. And I think this is about... I, I think that we should understand this about the reward. It shows more about who our God is than our good works. Does that make sense? It, like, it shows way more about who God is. In other words, um, think about uh, someone who's a really good gift giver in your life. Uh, for me, it's my mom. You could say, like, one half of a sentence, six months, like in July or something, and then in Chris, like six months later in, in Christmas, you're getting that one thing that you had alluded to that you might like, okay? Like she just picks up on everything, and she's just a great gift giver. That says way more about who she is than me, right? Who kind of flippantly said, oh, that might be nice to have, right? And then Christmas time comes around, and it's there underneath the tree, right? It says way more about her, and it says way more about God that he's offering you a reward than it does about your good works. Remember that. Remember God is faithful. One more thing I want to point out before we run out of time. This is uh, the second to last verse here. It says this, To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God. Now, here's what I think is really interesting about this. If you know uh, this region, and this is really applicable today because uh, recently in Turkey, which is where the church in Philadelphia uh, would have been in modern day terms, uh, there's been a lot of earthquakes. You guys know that. You've seen it on the news. In this city specifically, they suffered from many earthquakes. Even 2,000 years ago, this city was suffering from a ton of earthquakes. And so what they would do is because there are so many of these in this region of the world, uh, what they would do is they would kind of build up these pillars, and then around that they would kind of structure their building. And many times, after an earthquake, a lot of the structure would come down, but this pillar would remain. And after uh, earthquakes, you would see, man, there's just devastation, but the pillars remain, and they would build upon these pillars once again. It would make the rebuilding process much easier, and it would make the damage a lot less. And what God is saying to this church in Philadelphia is he's saying, hey, I'm going to make you one of these pillars. Yeah, the crazy things are going to happen in this life. And yet, I'm going to strengthen you and you are going to remain. But he doesn't just say in this world. He says, in my temple of my God. He says, you're constantly going to remain in me. Yeah, things on earth are going to happen and it's going to be rough and it's going to be really, really difficult. But I'm going to establish you in a relationship with me. That's interesting about a pillar. Because the pillar doesn't really 
do a whole lot except for hold things up. I mean, think about the beams that hold up your house or the joists that hold up your house, right? Or the truss, I don't know. I'm not a construction guy. Whatever those big wood things are, metal things that hold up houses are, right? They don't really do anything except just sit there. And yet we need them, right? I mean, otherwise your house is going to be a basement and that's it, right? Like you need those things and they're just resting there. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to make you like one of those, like one of those big beams, like one of those big pillars, but not here on earth, in my house, in my temple, with my God. He's saying, what does he want this church to do? He's saying, look at this, rest in God's presence. Just, you just rest in my presence. Just like a, like a big pillar in, a, in this structure would do in the church of Philadelphia, or the trust does in your home, and it just holds up this big, massive thing. God is saying, that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to give you a relationship with me, and I want you to rest in that presence, which is really ironic, right? Because we've been talking about how do you not give up? How do you not burn out? How do, when you're faithful with little and God's giving you more and more and more, how do you not burn out? And Pastor Josh, you're telling us to just rest in God's presence? Here's something that I think that we have to realize about rest. The world will say rest is a lack of work. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to rest. I'm going to sit in my recliner and I'm going to watch Netflix for four hours. Well, biblically, this isn't the picture of rest that we get. Biblically, the picture of rest that we get is being in God's presence. It's the idea that uh, Jesus gives us in John 15 that uh, uh, he's the vine and we're the branches, right? We're connected with the source of of life. Jesus puts it like this in John chapter 7. On the last days of the feast, the great day, uh, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's this idea that we are connected to the source of life, to the relationship that Jesus has with us that is only available because of the hard work that Jesus gave on the cross. He sacrificed himself to offer us a relationship because we've fallen away. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm here for you. I want you connected with me. It's why Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Look at this, the source of life. You're connected with the Lord. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but man, when I am just overloaded, when I have a lot to do, when I'm feeling burnt out, when my whiteboard does, isn't big enough to hold my entire to-do list, and I'm saying, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get all these things done? Wouldn't it be easier just to quit? This piece, man, it just does something. This, uh, this week uh, was President's Day, and so that means Tammy had that off of work. And so I had a little bit of extra time on my hands. I said, man, I'm just going to spend this morning that I, I typically uh, have it with the kids in the morning. I, I take care of our kids. And I had that off since Tammy was off. And so I was like, man, I, I think I just need to spend some time with the Lord. There's just a lot going on. There's a lot on my to-do list. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot on my plate here. I just need to spend some time with God. And it's ironic, right? Because typically when you got a lot on your to-do list, what do you do? You get to work, right? You don't just sit around reading your Bible and praying. You get to work, and you're like, hey, I, I, got, I got a lot to do. But here's what I noticed. When I spend time with the Lord before I start working, somehow the work after that just comes along a lot easier. 
And somehow, when there's more things on the to-do list and you get email after email after email and there's more and more and more, this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, man, it doesn't make sense. There's more on the to-do list and yet you're more energized. Why? Because you have this sense of peace. It's like what Psalm 1 says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. Again, it's this idea of being connected to the source of life. Psalm 1 goes on to say, He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons and its leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. I don't know about you, but I want to be like the guy planted, or by the tree planted by streams of water. I want to be that guy. I want to be connected to the source of life. Because in life, when you're faithful with little, God gives you more, and it's really, really hard. It's really difficult. And it's so easy just to get overwhelmed and overloaded and say, I, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do this. Be connected to the source of life. I want to end by reading this verse to you. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, that's not rest like the world gives us. That's resting in God's presence. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The world wants to give you rest for your body, right? Go on a vacation. Sit in this recliner. Watch these, this entertainment. And Jesus says, I've got way better rest for, that, for you than that. I have a rest for your soul. Jesus goes on to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know where you're feeling worn out today. Let me tell you, I feel it too. I feel it. And it's hard. And yet, Jesus says this, when you're feeling like you're about to give up, when you're feeling like, man, I just, I can't keep doing what I have been doing. He says, rely on my power. I see you in everything that you do. I've given you opportunities to praise me, to further my kingdom. And listen, don't get sidetracked by judging other people. You let me do that. You do what I've called you to do. Remember my faithfulness. I'm going to protect you in the future. Remember, there is a reward in your future as well. And you can. the best part is you rest in my presence. I am with you. I have a relationship with you. Allow me to fuel you. Allow me to give you what it takes to keep going on. And that is the goodness of our God. Amen, church? The goodness of our God is that He has given us a relationship with Him that when life is really hard, and it just seems like, man, these days are dragging by, and it's just so hard. Jesus says, I see you. I see you, and I'm for you and I am with you, all you have to do is lean in on your relationship with Jesus. That's what he's offered to you. And as a church, man, I could not imagine as a church 
if every single one of us took that seriously and said, you know, God, I know you've given us a lot, but I'm just going to keep leaning on you. I'm just going to keep doing what you're calling me to do. You know, the amazing impact that we can have on God's kingdom. Yeah, it's good. The amazing impact that you can have on your family. The amazing impact that you can have on your neighbors and on your friends. Man, you just lean in on that, on that relationship that God has for you. And you keep going at it. Because He's the source of power. He's the source of strength. You lean on Him. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much that you haven't put us here and expect us to work out of our own strength. But that, God, that you give us everything that we need. You've given us everything that we need to do everything you've called us to do. Even when it seems like, man, I just, I can't do it anymore. Even when it seems like, man, I'm at the wit's end with my kids or my marriage or my parents or at my job or my finances. Jesus, you say, lean on me. Lean on me. I am the source of life. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you for the sacrifice that you gave on the cross. Would you help us to lean in on that and lean in in our relationship with you, Jesus? It's in your precious, life-changing name we pray. Amen.